Anyway, Matthew 6, or sorry, Matthew, we've been, in, we've been in Matthew. We're now in Revelation for one Sunday. We're starting our summer series on, uh, on prayer and, and the prayers that we see throughout the Bible. And uh, this morning we're starting off in, in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, which is on page 968 of your church Bibles. Uh, and it's also in your service sheets, as you can see, for your convenience. Uh, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, this is, this is God's word. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forevermore. What happens when we pray? Uh, a friend of mine told me this week that, that when she prays, she usually finds her car keys. That's not exactly what I meant, but, but there's many different views on the question, aren't there? Many of us uh, here this morning are, are coming from, from different backgrounds, different uh, traditions that will, will answer this question differently. And if we, if we went out on the streets and, and asked, what, what happens when we pray? you'd probably get even more varied and, and probably quite strange answers, wouldn't you? What happens, what happens when we pray? You know, some of you have been taught that, that perhaps uh, that, that if you're, you're praying with enough faith, then God is going to, to answer your prayers. He's going to, to give you the things you desire. It's almost like if you can, can get God's attention, then he has to respond to you in the way that you want. It's, it's this sort of transactional view of prayer. We ask enough, and God has to give. And it's with, with fear and trembling and, and about a half a dozen nuances that I, I can't give you all that I say there, there's some scriptural merit to that. Not much, but some. Like, like for example, the, the persistent widow. But, but the, the, the issue there is that, that uh, that's what, what, what we're talking about with that and what, what Jesus was talking about is, is quite different. And we're not getting into the nuance of that this morning. The point is that that's more of a man-centered view of prayer. Another view is that, that we're just saying the, the things we're concerned about. That prayer is like a, a therapy session where, where you say the things that, that you're worried about and, it, and you just feel better, don't you? And often when we pray, we, we just feel better. It's therapeutic. We're, we're letting go of those things that, that are bothering us or concerning us. And we're emptying our minds almost of them. It's kind of a meditative view of prayer, isn't it? And while God does call us to, to place our concerns in his hands, this, this once again is not, uh, or it's at least an incomplete understanding of what happens when we pray. Another view is, is, is the one that you probably hear out on the streets, that when, when we pray, we're just we're making a wish. We're asking the, the, the universe or, or some... Uh, magic wish-granting fairy to help us out. This is the atheist view, isn't it? What happens when we pray? Well, well nothing. Sometimes dumb luck will, will step in and, and help you out. But we're just kind of making a wish. We're blowing out the birthday candles and hoping for the best. But there's no real power in it. Now, as we uh, embark on this, this short summer series on prayer, there's going to be a, a number of, of people coming through, uh, elders from from the church in Brentford to, to help us out. You're gonna hear a lot of different voices uh, coming in and talking about prayer. 
And I think it's good for us, though, to begin with this, with this question. We've heard in, in our series from Matthew, Christ teaching us how we should pray. And we've, we've prayed that prayer together already this morning. Christ, Christ taught us the way that we ought to pray. But, but what actually happens when we pray? And the good news for us this morning is that, is that what happens when we pray is, is actually far greater. It's far more exciting and it's far more powerful. And actually it's far more comforting. Than, than the views that most of us walked in here with this morning. When we pray, we, we come before the throne of God in heaven, the holy and, and sovereign God, the creator of all the earth, the one who, who knitted each one of us together in our mother's wombs. And we, we lift to him our, our concerns and our cares and our needs. And we have to come trusting in his character and we're ministered to out of the abundance of his grace and his love for us as his people. And this is a stunningly different and, and, and st- uh, from, from, from the staking of the claim to his blessing or from emptying ourselves of our concerns or, or simply making a wish. When we, when we come before God in prayer, we're, we're uniting our hearts with his. We're submitting ourselves to, to his sovereign will, his desires becoming our desires. And we're allowing his will and his, his sovereignty and his holiness to shape us. And in prayer, we, we experience the love of God towards us. And that's why our prayers must begin with him and not with ourselves. And so there's three things for us to see this morning from, from this passage. First of all, how we approach God. Secondly, what we should ask of God. And third, what we can expect in response. So before we dive in, I think it's, it's worth acknowledging that this is a uh, maybe a slightly odd choice of a passage on, on prayer. Our series is going to be looking at, at prayers throughout Scripture. So you're, uh, you're going to hear lots of different, different prayers that were prayed throughout Scripture. So specifically, we want to look at petitions being made by God's people. And here we don't, we don't see, necessarily see that in the same way. We, we, do, we do hear the, the cry of the martyrs, don't we? Uh, we do hear a petition in their cry. So I think this, this does technically qualify as, as a prayer, while also giving us a picture of what goes on behind the scenes when we pray. Uh, I, maybe I'm taking some liberties, but I was taught that from a young age by my youth minister who's <laughs> sitting right there. You can, you can blame him for that. I think it's also worth saying that I know when we come to, to Revelation, if you've been around the church for a long time, we come with a lot of baggage because we've heard a lot of, frankly, nutty things about Revelation. Um, let's suspend those things and, and focus on on this 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 prayer. So what what happens when we pray? First, let's see how we are to approach God. Notice as as we we look at this uh, first, who is approaching God? Who is it that's coming before God? Uh, John says he saw the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, and the, for the witness they had borne. You see, these people are are the martyrs. Last week in, in Matthew 16, we heard Jesus tell his disciples that if they were going to, to follow him, they had to take up their cross and, and, and follow him. In other words, they, they had to, to follow him wholly and fully. They would, they would have to be willing to lose their lives for his sake. And the people lifting up their prayer to God on this passage before us are the ones who have done exactly as Jesus had commanded his followers to do. They took Jesus at his word. And the result of their following him was that they had to follow him to their deaths. 
in the eyes of the world, these are, these are the forsaken ones. They were the people who, who God had forgotten, who God left out there to, to suffer and to die for, for no apparent purpose, at least in the eyes of the world. They'd often died excruciating deaths while being mocked for the things they believed. They were, they were considered dangerous by the people of their day, their views, and their, their understanding of, of God's word. These were the people that, that the world believed were forsaken by God. But what John's vision here invites us to see is, is, is to actually see into the spiritual realm. These people, that, these people weren't actually forsaken by God. These are the people who were being hurt by God. These were the people who, who God was, was, was uh, coming to and listening to. And he was listening to them not because of their, not because of their super faith. It wasn't simply because they, they chose to be obedient. But it was because, because of their simple faith in Christ. They, they, they followed Christ and, and were obedient to this seemingly simple command. Take up your cross and follow him. God hears those who belong to him. He's identifying with these people as his own. And you see this, this intimacy between the followers of, of Christ and, and the sovereign God who sits on the throne, don't we? That's actually the foundation of our prayers. How we pray and why we pray is, is less about how much faith we have. And it's less about how much persistence we put in behind it. And it's more about God's love for us. And when we understand the, the love of God for you and I, then we can't help but approach him in prayer. And that's a key difference, isn't it? If prayer is, is faith-driven, then the person who, who comes to God demanding and, and laying claim to his blessings is really only believing in a God whose response we can earn. The person coming to make a wish is really not confident at all that, that God's there or that he's able to answer but the person who understands the true character of God and who knows the promises of God and who knows the love of God for his people through Christ can come before God confidently, can't we? Even when uh, our outward circumstances, all appearances, suggest that we might be forsaken. See, that's what we, what we see here, and it's, it's consistent with the gospel we've heard from Jesus in, in our look at Matthew's gospel, isn't it? Remember what Jesus said about our, our prayers back in Matthew 7. Remember what he, he told us about how we relate to God the Father in prayer. Verse, verses 9 through 11 of, of Matthew 7. Listen to, to Jesus' words here. Or which one of you, if, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, the martyrs were, were here calling out to God because they understood their relationship to God. They understood these words of Christ, that he's their father. And because he's their, their father, he knows how to properly care for them. He isn't some, some magic fairy or some rich guy that we're trying to, to win over to our cause. We approach God in prayer out of the intimate relationship we have with him that he's called us into through Christ. We lift our needs to him out of a, a confidence in his character. And that's exactly what we see in the, the prayer of the martyrs, isn't it? How do they come to God? They, they come expressing confidence in his character, don't they? Verse 10, what do they pray? O sovereign Lord, 
holy and true. These, these saints uh, come and, and, and address him according to who they know him to be. And they express three particular aspects of his character here, don't they? They address him as sovereign. That is, he's the, the God who is over all things. He's the one who, who acts according to his will and for his glory. They acknowledge his holiness, that he's, he, he's perfect. That he's perfectly righteous. They acknowledge he's, he's true, that, he's, that, that, is, that he's, he's genuine. There's, there's no other like him. That he's consistent. You see how they, they come before God and they, they address him for, for the same reasons they were, they were willing to be killed for him. Because they, the, when they saw their Savior, when they saw Christ Jesus, they saw the true character of God. And they saw the love of God for them. And that was sufficient. And they come before him here with that same childlike faith that, that Jesus calls all of us to. <sighs> And that he talked about back in Matthew 7. Listen, listen to this about, about Matthew 7. This is from a man named Andrew Murray, uh, uh, an old minister. He says, a child is weak. There's a great difference among children in age and gifts. The Lord does not demand of us a perfect fulfillment of the law. No, he desires only the childlike and wholehearted surrender to live as a child with him in obedience and truth. Nothing more, but also nothing less. The Father must have the whole heart. And I would add to that, what we see in these verses from Revelation is that if we have the Father, or if the Father has our whole heart, then we have the, the whole Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have the fullness of God prepared to, to shower his goodness and his gifts upon his people. Not only that, but though, but he invites us to come before his holy throne and to lift our concerns to him. And folks, this is what, what, what we have to square ourselves with. Is that our, our understanding and our view of God is so often woefully inadequate and insufficient. And it's tainted by the, the rubbish that we hear our, our world telling us that, that God is like. And most of us struggle to, to come before him in prayer because we, we aren't confident in him. And that's a, that, that, that's, is that a deficit in your faith? To a certain extent, yes, but, but actually it's, it's, it's also a deficit in our, our, our use of, of his word, in our, our, our understanding of who he is as he's presented our, himself to us in scripture. And he calls us not, not to simply come to him in prayer, but to know him through his word and through, sac through the sacraments and through the fellowship with other believers. That's, that's why we're here this morning, isn't it? I know that's not the most exciting application, but I find it the, the unavoidable application when we, we talk about prayer because prayer is, is, is one of those, those means of grace that we, we so often neglect. And the reason why is because our, our view of prayer is, is often so skewed by our understanding of, of, of who God is. And the answer is just to pray harder. And the answer uh, isn't just to... to, to you know, to, to relax and, and, and release our fears and concerns. The answer is to, to look to our great God, to know him more, to draw near to him in the ways that he's provided for us to draw near to him. And the natural question that follows from that then is, 
is, is ha- for the, that follows from how we, we approach God. Is if we're going to approach him, how, how do we, what do we ask from, for him, from him? That's our second point. What, what do we ask God for? What do we ask of him? I said before that, that I've often heard people say things like, I, I know I shouldn't ask God for anything specific when I pray. And I don't know where that, that mentality came from, but I've heard it quite a lot over the years from believers. And the thing we've got to understand is, is the martyrs here ask God for something very specific, don't they? It's almost shocking what they ask him for, isn't it? They're asking for God to avenge their deaths, aren't they? Their prayers is a cry for justice from, from God, the one who's, who's holy and true and sovereign and cannot allow injustice to stand. So they, they're praying for, they're, they're asking for justice to be visited on those who killed him. But we need to be very clear about, about why they pray this. It isn't necessarily out of, out of anger for how they were treated. This wasn't a request for God to exact revenge on, on their behalf for their sake. Actually, it's, it's, it's clear from, from verse 9 that, that these people were, were slaughtered by the enemies of God for believing in him. They were, they were killed for, for the truths that they confessed, that, that, that God's enemies, out of scorn for him, put them to death. And the prayer of the saints is that, that God would exact righteous revenge for the sake of his righteousness. That he would un- unveil his holiness against those who would stand against him. That he would reveal his sovereignty and, and, and act in accordance with that holiness and avenge for his sake and for, for his own glory the deaths of his people. See, this gives us actually a unique perspective and example of what prayer is. What should we be asking God for in prayer? We should be, we should be petitioning him based on the things we, we know to be in line with his character, shouldn't we? Prayer is the, the, this, this incredible uh, act of intimacy between God and his people where we're, we're brought before the Holy Throne and, and when you stand before the throne of God, your, your own desires and your own needs and your own demands often begin to fade away, don't they? And his desires become your desires. What should our heart's desire be more than anything else? What should be for the, the Heavenly Father to be glorified? And for that glory to fill the whole earth. That's the, the cry of the people of God, isn't it? When we know God truly, when we rest in Christ fully, our greatest longing, our greatest need is for God to be glorified and for that glory to fill the whole earth. We begin our prayer life in the, the same place that Jesus taught us to pray, don't we? With your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean for us in our own prayer lives? First of all, it, it, it should convict us. It should convict us. We're, we're, we're so me-centered and, and so man-centered in our faith that, we, we, that, that actually we, we, don't, we don't desire the glory of God, do we? Often we just desire our own comfort, our own security. We want God to fix whatever problems we have that day. And I'm not saying God doesn't care about those things. But there are even bigger things we should be praying for that don't involve uh, you finding your car keys. This passage actually calls us to to know God and his word more and more. 
to learn his character and his heart for his people, to more and more bind our hearts to his. You can, you can begin if you need a starting place by praying that, that God would help you to, to know his great love for you. He's got great love for you in Christ. And we can pray that he would drive the sin from our hearts. That we might desire the things he desires more and more. That should encourage us as well to, to come before him in boldness because, because he delights to do good for his people, doesn't he? We can come to him with those, those things that make us anxious and afraid. We can't ask for, for uh, silly things like, like finding our car keys. Because if you bring those things before the, the throne of God, then you can, you can begin to see just, just how small those things are in comparison to his greatness. And our, our fears and our anxieties, that when, we, when we place them before a sovereign God, when we, we lay them into his hands, they begin to fade away, don't they? In the, the light of his glory and his grace to us. You can, you can certainly, you, you can ask him for anything, can't you? The little things, but we should be praying for bigger things too. And if you're not sure where, where to start, then, then start by asking him to fill the earth with his glory. It's a simple thing, isn't it? That his name would be hallowed, that it would be proclaimed as holy on earth as it is in heaven. And we can ask him to begin with our own hearts. I think it's worth underlying here as well the, the central request of the martyrs here. What do they ask for? They're, they're asking for justice. And we can pray for justice. And we're in a world that, that's, uh, that, that's becoming increasingly aware of justice and injustice, aren't we? And we can, we can pray to God for true justice. Because when the, the vulnerable, and, and especially when, when the people of God are abused or mistreated or killed, it's actually an affront to his holiness, isn't it? So we can pray for that. And we can trust that, that God works in that, that, that he knows that need, and he responds. And we see that response, don't we, in our final point this morning, that God responds to these prayers. Let's see what we can expect in, in that response. Look Look back at, at verse 11. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, what we see in verse 11? Because for many of us, we would, we would consider that no response at all, wouldn't we? They ask for vengeance, and they're given a robe. They want something now, and they're told to wait. You know, what's, what's God saying there? It's almost like he's, he's, that, he, he's putting us off, isn't he? Whilst I appreciate your concerns dot, dot, dot. We've all heard that, haven't we, around here? You know, It's like what the head teacher always says to, to us. Whilst I appreciate your concerns, da, da, da. You know, a lot of us, when, we pray, when we've prayed and not gotten what we wanted, we, when we wanted it, we've, we've probably questioned whether, either whether we should have prayed that to, to begin with, which very few of us have probably asked that question. The one we usually ask is uh, whether perhaps God just couldn't be bothered to answer us. And some, for some of you, that, that may have put you off praying. For some of you, that may have even put you off from, from the church for a time. Maybe you've thought God can, can help with the little things, like, like finding your car keys. But he struggles with, with the big stuff. You know, the, the, real, the real deep pains you've felt in your life. The marriages that have broken, the, the kids that have gone astray the jobs that you've, you've lost, the relationships that have, 
haven't gone right. Maybe you think God can't really help with those things. Maybe that's why a lot of people think that that God's more like a, a magic wishing well. Where sometimes the wish comes true and sometimes it doesn't. And it, it's a, it's, it kind of depends on, on what you're wishing for and, and a good bit of luck. So this is why, once again, our, our prayers have to be grounded and confident in the character and heart of God. If we know he's sovereign, then he can certainly do anything. If, he, if he's holy, then he can't allow evil to stand and prosper forever. If he's true, then he's going to be faithful to you. And he's going to care for you properly. And that's actually what we see happening in this response of God to his people in verse 11. Look at it again. When they, when they were each, they were, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. who were to be killed as they themselves had been. What does a loving Heavenly Father do? when he, his, his children bring their needs to him. What does the Heavenly Father do who Jesus says knows how to give good gifts to his children? What does he do when we, when we cry out to him? Well, he, he ministers to his children, doesn't he? He ministers to our needs. He, he comforts them. In this case, he, he clothes them in righteousness, a, a white robe. And he calls them to rest and wait. He has a plan. And that plan will come to fulfillment. It's kind of like if you've, if you've ever seen a film or, or a television show where uh, you know, there, there's a, a house fire or a building fire. You know, they, they always pan over to the, the victims who are, are sitting on, on the fire engine, right? And they've, been, they've always been wrapped in a, in a blanket and, and given a, you know, a cup of coffee or something like that. Their, their house is burning to cinders. And, and, and they're, they're safe and secure, though, wrapped in their, their blanket on the fire engine. That's, in a sense, what we see here, isn't it? It often feels like the, the world's on fire, that it's just full of chaos and, and craziness. But John says it, it should feel like we're wrapped in white and, and just resting and waiting for our great God to work. While we, tr- we trust him to bring his sovereign plan to fruition. While we wait for his glory to fill the earth. You see, the Christian life is, is a calling to prayer because we, we are called to look to our great God. To see his true character and, and to desire his kingdom to fill the whole earth. You can pray for, for anything. You really, you really can. Because God actually cares for the things you care for. He's concerned for your concerns. And he wants to minister to your needs and to your heart. As we look to our our great God, the things that make us anxious begin to pale, don't they? In comparison to his glory. And we can rest in his grace. And we can rest in his love for us as he ministers to our hearts through his word and through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray.